Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Rivalries and fallout on a road course. But Dan Elliott and I tell you why that's not the biggest story leaving the Charlotte Roval. Dan will tell you who he thinks had the championship drive, and then we look ahead to see who's best positioned in the playoffs. This is five to go. They arrested me and they put me in jail and called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot, hot rod. Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah, baby, let's roll. Five to go. Episode 152 of our Five to Go Racing podcast here on WSBRadio.com and GoPRN.com. So glad to have you tuning in. We've got a lot to parse through, and we're really going to get about as deep as the cup race today. As I mean, I mean, we could talk even about A.J. Allmendinger being so dominant at the Roval. We could talk about Texas coming up, which I think is a bit of an unknown because the teams haven't raced there since the All-Star race. Doug Fireball Turnbull here, fresh off of getting to call uh, as part of the great play-by-play team on Performance Racing Network this past weekend, weekend and I'm saying they're great, and I was glad to be a part of it. Uh, I'm still amped up over what I got to see unfold in front of me and the entire race and all of the drama, and we're going to get right into that in a moment. Eric Von Hessler not able to be with us today. He is, as we record, actually, he is doing his uh, daily Von Hessler doctrine. It's just a highly entertaining show on 95.5 WSB and all the podcast places. But he's just not able to fit it into his schedule. But joining me on the line, so gracious with his time and so flexible, too, I might add, Dan Elliott just got done touching his toes, doing a split, doing a somersault. That's how flexible he is. And he's working on a transmission while he does it. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. Hope you are absolutely fabulous. I'm doing great, brother. I really am. God is good. I just got to say, God is good. God I might make good. some people uncomfortable when I say that, but... Getting to go, All the time. and that was my last race of the year, that at least I'm getting paid to go work for PRN. I don't think I'm going to make it up to Martinsville. It's certainly not out to Phoenix or Texas, so I, I'm pretty sure that's that's going to do it for me as far as getting to go to the track this year, at least a cup race. So I, I'm, I'm so uh, honored to get to be a part of that team, and to think that I actually got paid to do it, and I didn't pay them to be there, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool, man, and and. And, you know, I know how valuable going to the racetrack is to a lot of people and how it was for you, Dan. And one one thing, Dan, that I see before we get into all the, the X's and O's, and we got a lot to cover with the racing, but one thing that I see from the people that are on the tour a lot, whether it's drivers or crew members or the media members even, is there seems to be, especially this time of the season, like, man, can we just get through this? Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. And it's easy to forget what a privilege it is to go and to be there and to be part of something bigger that millions of people watch. And the passion, Dan, that I saw on the grandstands for what was going on below was untouched, especially at some key climax moments that we'll get to. But Dan, I, as you look back at your career, I bet there are times you wish you hadn't taken it for granted, right? Well, I, I think through most of my career, I, I honestly can say that I, kind of cherished 
a lot of it because you learned a little bit early the ups and downs and you were you were down for a lot of years till you won the first race and and you were on the mountain for a week and then you were in the valley for the next week so yeah you you learned a lot life teaches you a lot but um there was a lot of that i did not take for granted and there was a lot of that that i did enjoy even though you had to work so so hard it, it it's so different today to me to see these crew members they just really don't realize how well off they have it compared to the early years and how hard you had to work with so few people and so little funding to get where you were and and to succeed was was grace of god for sure no and look there are got to be people that are going to the track right now and certainly ones at the race shops and we're in day two of the next gen the Gen 7 car testing on the Charlotte Roval. As we record, this is a Tuesday. It's been a Monday and Tuesday test up there, and I, I don't really have a lot to flesh out or record or talk about that test because I just don't have enough information to sit there and waste anybody's time with that. But there are people that this is their last home race weekend this past weekend with their race teams. These teams are definitely going to be downsizing and switching members, and we know the teams that are shutting down and switching people. Are, and, and then there's teams that don't know what they're doing. And it's easy to take it for granted that every day there's going to be a shop where the fluorescent lights come on. Every day the hauler's going to pull in. Every day the hauler's going to pull out or whatever your job is on the team. And then a decision could be made and it's gone. And and I just, I just, you know, I think about that in all of life too, but just particularly we're in the stretch run, Dan, of the race season, stretch run of the race season. And it's so easy to be worn out by it, and I and I see it with a lot of people. And I only get to go to five races a year, so I come galloping in there like a like a horse on speed. <laughs> and I mean, and 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 it's and sometimes I have to go. Okay, wait a minute, I need to read the room better because people have been doing it every week. And I and I'm just I'm very yeah, grateful. You also when got to understand to too what COVID has done for our whole country during the past. Yeah course of almost two years now and and we are seeing so many things it's not just the racing community that's changing everything is but definitely the racing community is changing and from what we've known for a long long time this is going to change even more but as we talked about earlier and and how this sport has reached another nascar to me has reached another major plateau another major milestone and it will continue to change, I think, exponentially after this gen, this generation car gets brought into the racing world. I, I think things are going to change even quicker as we progress. Yep. Yeah, d- dramatically for sure. There's just a lot of team. When I walk through the garage on Bank of America Roval 400 race morning, and you know, you see, for instance, I walk past the JTG Doherty hauler. They're probably running one team next year unless they change their mind. That's what Brad Doherty said openly about a month ago. And and we know Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is the driver. And I saw both the drivers, Ryan Priest and Stenhouse, standing out there. And I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder what's going through Stenhouse's mind right now. Or, sorry, excuse me, Priest's mind as Priest is moving on. I mean, unless something dramatically changes. I wonder what's going through his mind right now or Matt DiBenedetto, or Ryan Newman, who crashed out really early 
in this past Sunday's race. Like, man, they, you know, this is their last shots with their teams. And I wonder what these mornings are like knowing that there are few left and there may not be another ride on the end of that calendar. I, and, and then, it, then it goes down to the team members too. So they're te- testing that next gen car out there on the Charlotte Roval. The only thing I want to pull from that, you can't say, oh, well, you know, look who led the fastest lap. That means something because they're all testing different things, testing different packages, and these cars didn't go through inspections. But the average speed or, or the, the fastest laps were about four seconds faster than what they are with the current car on the Roval in the Cup Series. And I found that very interesting. I, I just did it to show that these cars are really suited for road courses. But, Dan, let's get to the current car and the current cr- crop of crew dri- or Cup Series drivers and the current Bank of America 400, because my lord, in the end, out of all the chaos, after William Byron looked prepped to have an upset win, after A.J. Allmendinger got up there and led some laps, Denny Hamlin, who stinks on the Roval, I mean, admittedly, is not very good at it, was up there leading a bunch on some pit strategy, and he was the pole sitter, by the way. After all of that, it was Kyle Larson, Dan, who at one point was on the wrong side of the playoff cut line because they had to keep pitting with battery and alternator belt issues, it was King Larson with his seventh win of the season in the number five Chevrolet. Dan, I would just like to get your take on not just Larson, but how all of that turned out. And we're going to get to Harvick and Elliott in a moment and all that. I know you have opinions there, but just the fact how when we saw on lap uh, 109, Kyle Larson go to victory lane. Tell me about how you thought about how we arrived at that point. Yeah, but isn't that what it's all about? And this is what we have discussed over the course of the past two years is the fact of the excitement and the ho-hum and and the boring races and and this is where it gets turned around to me because this to me is ultimately what it's all about is is it's like a good suspense thriller you don't have any idea how it's going to turn out you don't know what's around the next bend and you don't have any clue as to who is going to walk home with the, with the trophy for the day. Well, I, I did not expect it to be Larson, I'll tell you that. And in fact, going into this, we could turn the page back to episode 151. I thought Larson with a 22-point cushion, I know they're going to go out and they still want to win, but if they could just run a strategy where they end up, maybe get a couple of stage points, eh, finish in the top 10, That's not. it doesn't seem hard for them these days. That What's the point of even like going for the kill? And they still ended up going to the kill despite having the trouble. I think it's one of those deals where it's just like any other race where you have a rhythm and you're hitting your rhythm and anything that distracts you or causes you not to hit your rhythm and you're going to pay, you're, you're going to pay the consequences of not staying and sticking with the rhythm of the fact of we're going to go, we're going to run our best, and we're going to try to win everything that's left. And I think you have to go with that attitude to walk away a champion. Well, certainly. I mean, yeah, I guess I I should be thinking more along those lines for sure. But Kyle Larson won, and it it wasn't just a gimme. I mean, he went up there and got it. There there was a lot of caution and pit strategy and tilling of the dirt, as I always like to say. But in the end, he he went out there and held it and got it. And what, Dan, the key seemed to be to me, and I was watching this, my section of turns, everybody, that, you know, if you care, was was I was standing up in the first row of the upper four grandstand. So I was up way high. 
and I had turns six, seven, and eight coming down what's affectionately called Redneck Hill and exiting the infield course. And that area really sets you up or sets drivers up. It's very technical. It's almost like driving a tightrope, they say. You really don't have much margin for error. And what I was seeing there was, you know, that's how people set up to really get a good dive into turn number eight and see if they can power past people when they start going through the gearbox again and up on the racing surface. And Kyle Larson, what it seemed to me is any leader, if they could gap the field and get five car lengths or so in those first couple of laps, then they could just focus on hitting their marks. And, and and it wasn't so much about aero, but traffic did matter there. And having the preferred racing line, because there really is only one racing line there, mattered also, Dan. Larson, on that last restart, gapped him and then just watched them scrap out. And he checked out. Yeah, I think they had saved pretty much the best for the life. And that's usually the way these deals, you've got to survive. Put yourself in a position to where that you can survive to the end and then be in position to take advantage, uh, much like we saw Bubba do with the rain. Yeah. And, um, and and if you can do that, you've definitely positioned yourself a lot better than a lot of other people will by the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. So Kyle Larson wins. Tyler Reddick finished second. And I'm not totally surprised by that, Dan, because we've seen him win stages on road courses before. He's both admittedly not the road course racer he wants to be, but also somebody that's sneaky good on road course races if he could get the right strategy and not make a mistake. And he did make a mistake to the umbrage of William Byron as he got into Byron in the backstretch chicane there in those pivotal late laps. Byron had lost the lead on a pit sequence. The caution came out, by the way, for the bumper cover of Chase Elliott's car. We'll talk about the officiating, plus the Harvick and Elliott drama there in just a few moments. But uh, Reddick got into Byron, who was charging up, and I think was up into the second-place position by then. And that that sent uh, Byron to, to essentially miss the backstretch chicane, which you're supposed to come to a full stop if you miss the chicane and then get going. And uh, Byron did not quite stop all the way, but they, they didn't call the whistle on that either. Anyway, but that cost him some spots. And then later in the race, Byron overshot turn six right in front of me. And that, and that's why he didn't win, basically. Because it looked like at the end, Dan, the number 24, William Byron, had the fastest car. And by the way, Dan, when William Byron was leading, Chase Elliott was coming back from his damage and charging through the field at the tail end of the lead lap. And Byron, by winning the race, would have had Chase's position in the playoffs. And it was Chase's bumper cover coming off that brought out the caution that shuffled things up. And here we are. Uh, Elliot, by the way, rebounded to finish in the 12th spot after winning the first two stages. So, Dan, um, we talked about Larson winning. We're going to get to the conflict with Harvick and Elliott for a second, but let's talk about both officiating and this dynamic over <laughs> at Hendrick Motorsports because that's pretty interesting. Imagine Dan being Rick Hendrick, and we talked about this last week, uh, being Rick Hendrick and you have the car that is leading the race and then you're, one of your other drivers is running the playoff bubble and that car is taking his spot. I mean, that's got to be an interesting spot if you're Rick Hendrick. No wonder he's got white hair, huh? Yeah, no wonder he's got white hair and probably a back pocket full of horseshoes because yeah. they still walk away, still walk away with the race win at the end of the day. So how fortunate can you be? And and that was kind of kind of the deal is how fortunate. You know, it's it's like I told you, the strength of the whole organization right now shows in the fact of 
if if it's not one car that's out front, one car, two cars may get in trouble. But at the, at the, when when the smoke all clears, you you know you still got a car in victory lane. Oh, for sure, how, and, and how, it wasn't either of those awesome. two. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't wasn't either one of those two. But how awesome is that? But yeah, if if you could have got a win out of uh, the other two cars that uh, that that don't run as well, then um, it surely would have been a great day. But uh, it would yeah. have probably knocked one out. So all four yeah. Hendrick cars finished in the top twelve, and you got to know that if Elliott doesn't have the damage and all that stuff. He he finishes up in the top ten. If William Byron lay, just doesn't lay the wheels wrong in turn six, he ends up in the top ten. And he, and Alex Bowman, Dan, I actually thought Bowman would run better because I've seen him put that car up on his shoulders and carry it through the Charlotte Roble to advance into the round of eight in the past. All right, and and Bowman just didn't quite have the car. He also had some electrical issues that lost him track position. He just didn't. He never got up and made any noise today, and he was in a must-win situation, much like Byron, his teammate, and much like Christopher Bell, who was up near the front, started near the front, but just didn't have it. And Bell did not. He finished eighth, and I thought he might make a little more noise because he'd won the Daytona Road Course. So that's the three drivers below the cut line, Dan. Yep. Let's yep. talk about the fourth one entering this race. Somebody that appeared to be in position to advance or very close to it won Kevin Harvick, and we knew that he and Chase Elliott had had their issues at Bristol. I kind of thought they were even leaving that. Harvick took Elliott out of contention. Elliott stole a win from Harvick. Harvick obviously didn't think so. And as Mark Garrow said to me on Saturday before the race, there are two payback tracks left on the schedule, the Charlotte Roval and Martinsville. And sure enough, and he goes, you watch, Harvick is going to hit Chase when it hurts. And on whatever lap it was, <laughs> I'll, I'll let me see what caution was it. On lap 56, in turn seven, Dan, pop and kapow. And Chase Elliott steps out of turn seven off of the nose of Kevin Harvick right in front of me. Heavy damage to the rear of Chase's car, particularly the uh, the right of the left rear, excuse me. And 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 then and then Elliott tries to swipe down and take Harvick back out. It looks like when they get back on the racing service and misses and hits the wall again and takes out Cole Custer. It looked Dan like Chase's day was done. We all thought it for sure. Chase gets on the radio and says his track bar is broken. But then they go fix it, and they don't get lapped. So I want to talk about two things here. Number one, Dan, what did you think of the Nines team effort to salvage their day and then Chase's drive with a, just a terribly damaged car? And then number two, NASCAR's officiating with the loose bumper cover that was the bumper cover heard around the world at least that day. Take it away. <laughs> Take it away. Thank you on that. Um, <laughs> Big setup. Thought, you got, you got a lot of work. That- I thought the drive was was purely championship as far as what you got to do to to get yourself in that position to to get another championship. Obviously, uh, it's what you have to do, and and that is what you are experienced and trained for and and try to get done. Um, the only I I really did think that NASCAR would have black flag them and made them come in fix the rear bumper cover i really thought that would happen because in 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 everything that um you hope for in these races 
is that they treat everyone the same. That yep. that no matter what happens, that the rules are the same for everybody, and and whatever it is you've got to do, and and whatever whatever was done. I, I don't know if they achieved that or not, but maybe they were trying to keep those cars in championship contention. I don't know um, without being there. No excuses. Um, I, I don't know what the reason was. Somebody would have to ask NASCAR, and yeah. they're probably not going to say. But um, Well, they, they did. So the, I think on the TV broadcast or no, one of the media members – got NASCAR to send an excuse, and they said that rear bumper covers, and I'm just paraphrasing, but this is what they said, and I'm sorry to interrupt, rear bumper covers are not required to be able to run on a road course. In other words, it's not a part of the car that has to be intact or we're going to black flag you. So because it's not a required piece of the car, that's why he was a black flag. But to me, that's not the question. The question is, is a piece of your car about to bring out a yellow? Just like if a driver has too much of a tire rub, or has an oil line loose, they they black flag you before you bring out the yellow and affect the whole race. In this case, NASCAR's damn do they do, damn do they don't, because they because they black flag Elliott, it affects the playoffs, right? Uh, potentially. Yep. If they don't black flag him, it affects it even more because that's what essentially if that race stays green. William Byron's going to win it. I, I feel very confident if it stays green, that's Byron's race to lose. But if it's yellow, then it unfolds more chaos. It, it, it sets up the Kevin Harvick situation, right? Where that, again, that was just after a restart. It sets up a chance for Chase to pay Harvick back. It sets up all the other scenarios that that changed pit strategy and put Hamlin up in the lead. It took Byron out of it and all that. It, it changed everything. So maybe Dan, if there's a tiebreaker, it really is just what's the rule, right? Well, I think that's the question right there is let's just be consistent on what we do. And and obviously it ended up the way it ended up and everybody seemed to be okay with it. And, you know, as I said, if, if I'm unhappy about it, then I buy the, I buy NASCAR and change the whole deal. So. Did, um, did you ever feel like you were a point, you know, cause you were with Bill when he became most popular driver. Were, were you? Did you ever feel like there was a point in those days of NASCAR, or did people ever accuse NASCAR playing favoritism to the nine team because you were popular, like they do now with with Chase and like what happens with with Dale Jr. before? I've got to say that during that time, I thought we were a little bit unpopular. I guess uh, with NASCAR be, or with the fans, with NASCAR and and. Um, Maybe that was just because I went through the same thing with Gresham and, and being, being a track manager, being on the other end of these rules definitely gives you a different perspective. But the only thing I could say at the end of the day, I tried my absolute best to be across the board fair to everybody, no matter how it fell. And um, you, you, you catch grief. Either way, you catch grief trying to do good. You, you, you just catch it all the way around. One side or the other is not going to be happy, and you do the best you can. At the end of the day, you just go home and say, you know, I, I did the best I could. Would I do something different? I probably would, but 
as far as being fair, just tried to be fair to everyone regardless. And uh, it shook out where it shook out. Yeah. And um, that, that, that was the best you could do. That's absolutely the best you could do. Both Chase Elliott, just to rewind to something I really wanted to extract, and thank you for your insight on on favoritism and everything, but to, to extract something you said at the beginning of those comments, I set you up with this big old, like I always do, you know, filibuster of a setup. Uh, but the championship effort, when you said that was a championship effort or a championship drive from Chase, both he and Kyle Larson did that in this race. Yep. Kyle Larson. Yep, uh, Kyle Larson was actually in a worse spot than Chase Elliott at one point because he was trying to catch the field under yellow and uh, and and didn't. I mean, or he barely did. Now, Elliott was in a worse spot actually. I'm sorry because of the damage, but but there was a point where Ar- Larson got out of the pits. They called a quickie yellow instead of a regular yellow, and so they had to do all the repairs at once. And he just barely caught the back of the field as the race went green. If that had been at an oval track, actually, Dan, I think Larson could have stayed in the gas and made up a bunch of spots right when he crossed the start-finish line. But but because they have to slow down for turn one, that didn't really work. But Larson just carved through the field before the track position and pit efforts and everything. And then seeing Elliott with this that piece-of-crap car, when he when they finally had the yellow for him to catch back up, and then just pass people like they're standing still. And I watched him do it. There, there were no gimmies, but he just sliced right through. That's the kind of stuff that if either of those drivers wins the championship, this race needs to get circled and pointed back to. Well, absolutely. And the thing about it is, and what I was going to say is, isn't it amazing how how fate or the racing gods or whatever factors in to favor some drivers over other drivers? And and it kind of comes down to fate really does make a big difference in, in how things fall, how, where you are to, at a given time, uh, caution comes out, you're leading, it looks like you're going to run away with it, and then caution comes out, and then you're back of the field. Or you run into slow traffic. All this stuff factors in, and, and you you can do absolutely the best you can to think you're going to have a championship drive and unless the fate is with you, unless, as I say, those those back pocket full of horseshoes really have to be there for all of this. And, and it seems like it's, it's just so laid out on how this is supposed to be. It's, it's, it's like all of this stuff in some sense or another is, is kind of predestined, you know? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you for the insight on that. And, and look, the thing is, is at the end, it comes. To, we have not seen a championship race in either really Homestead or Phoenix since we've gone to this format back in 2014, where a driver had to really come back from something huge and still win the race and win the championship. We just saw Larson do that at the Roval, and to me, with Phoenix, with with, with the idea of a championship being a little bit cheaper or a lot cheaper to some fans because it comes down to one race, you got to think to be able to get in that one race is pretty darn tough. And a lot of teams and drivers consider a berth into the championship four race as equal a feeling just about, or as bigger, maybe even bigger of an accomplishment than a championship, because that berth into the final race is based upon a body of work that includes these Herculean efforts. But man, I'd love to see a Phoenix race where say Chase, because he did drive from the back last year, but it was just from the beginning of the race. If Chase had to get a battery change or something weird like that, and 
and start in the back with uh, with 50 laps to go or 40 laps to go and see him come up and steal that championship. The only time I could think of, Dan, I'm, I'm rambling, but I'm just this thought just popped into my head. Tony Stewart in 2011, when he had the front end grill damage, and it looked like, I mean, that was Carl Edwards' championship to lose, his race to lose, and Stewart just went up there and took it. I would love to see that happen in the desert, whoever the champion is in November. Yep, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. And I think think you're getting set up for a a deal like that because you've got got quite a good group of drivers in this run going so far. You've really got a good group of drivers and and a, a scrappy group of drivers. And, you know, that deal with Harvick, we talked a little bit about it on the onset. Yeah, you know, let's hear it. Harvick, Harvick in desperation as far as what he was trying to do. You know, he knows, he's known for a long time that that team hasn't been 100%. And and you as a driver get frustrated because things aren't working out like you think they should. Your organization for whatever reason is is not hitting on eight cylinders and and it shows every weekend it shows you salvage the best runs you can do you put together the best efforts you can but each time you just fall a little bit short and it seems like whatever is against you seems to be you take it a lot more personally and and you think that all of this stuff everybody's out to get me and and I got to make, you know, I got to, I got to make something work. And you start trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And the harder you try, the worse it gets. And this is the desperation I felt like Harvick was in, yep. in trying to make that deal work. And and he just fell short. And and Chase just happened to be the recipient from races prior. And and I don't know if anything happened before Bristol or not, but. It, it's just from that point on, it's like magnets. And and every time you race, there you are together. And and we've seen that with all of the all of the the times through racing history where you you've had these run-ins with different drivers. It seems like every race you go to, there they are together again. And it's like they just can't be separated. And until something happens and evolves out of it and and you can get through this and and you know will there be anything after this i don't think so i really don't i I think it's probably run its course and and once you get through this then who's the next uh pair of opponents going to be before the end of the year are we going to have another pair or is it just going to sort out so a, a couple of things on that. Number one, did anything happen before Bristol? I want to think back about four years to Bristol, and, and it, was either, it was either 17 or 18. I think it was 17. I mean, Chase was young. It was definitely young in his Cub career. And they had a similar situation where, where they just they'd either hit each other or Harvick had spun a lap. It may have been when Harvick spun a lap car out on purpose to get a caution. I think that might have been it. And Chase made some comments like, oh, I've seen that out of him before. And and I just I think there's some stuff that they have in their memory banks that none of us is going to know about that made that made Chase take such offense to how Harvick raced him in this past edition of the Bristol Night Race to where to not where, oh, that's just a racing deal, but to where he took it from me and I lost a lot and he's going to get payback. And and Dan, I mean, look, 
you you know Chase better than I. He's your nephew, but we've seen him race a long time. We I've not ever seen him hardly except for versus Denny Hamlin in 2017. Seen him race with this chip on his shoulder like he's going to get somebody. He's generally a pretty clean driver, right? A, the number one descriptor I hear about Chase, smooth. He's somebody that just gets squeezes speed out of a car, is fairly clean. And for him to get ticked off enough to exact revenge says something to me, and that's not taking sides. Uh, am I am I measuring this the right way? Yeah, I think so. But but you get into these conflicts between drivers, these these, these scraps, and and I've seen it all my life. And and it just takes one thing, and sometimes it's just like maybe like when we were kids going through school, and and there's somebody you just don't like and and you can't huh. explain why you don't like them and and that's just it and and that just carries on and the next thing you know which cars are going to come together you and he, you and he are so it just it just starts to deal and and you don't really you you can't really go back sometimes and explain how it got started it just did and and yeah. uh, then you you know somebody's going to finish it and oh, it just was... one thing leads to another uh, certainly, certainly. So that's basically, I mean, it, it, so let's talk about other drivers that could see feuds. Kyle Busch got asked about the, scri- the scrape, and of course, you know, we know Kyle and Kevin have tussled over the years, right? Kyle Busch got asked about the Harvick and Elliott drama, and he said the four car was dr- running over a lot of people during Sunday's race. He said, Kevin was driving way over, trying to get whatever he could out of the car, just like you were saying, Dan. And he was at a point, Harvick was running in the top 10, but then Pitt's strategy shuffled it back. And unlike Chase, he couldn't make up the spots. He just, he's not as good of a road course racer and didn't have as much speed in the car. And so you, Harvick was just stuck in a gaggle of cars that included Kyle Busch. And Kyle Busch, by the way, won stage two. I misspoke earlier. But he was stuck in a gaggle of cars, and it's hard to pass after a restart out there. That Charlotte road course, hard to pass, and Harvick was having to do desperate things because he knew he was right on the edge of the cut line, and Chase was the other driver (laughs) that was on the other side of it. And then you mix Chase into it, and here comes my next question. So, by the way, so so Kyle Busch says, hey, you know, Harvick was driving over a lot of people. He might have ruffled some feathers we don't even know about, Dan, that that could stick with him later on in this season. But then here it comes. Then they have the caution for the Chase Elliott bumper cover, Chase gets caught up to the field, gets some more damage repair. Then he goes on a full-out track position assault. Then I think there's another caution, if I'm not mistaken. But then Harvick and Elliott – oh, yeah, I know. There's, I know what it is. So Elliott's car- charging up through the field. In turn number two, and this happened right in front of Nick Yeoman on PRN, he goes four wide, Chase Elliott does, and that contact and that situation pretty much augured Corey LaJoy out of line. There's another yellow. Now they're caught up again. And now they were only they were six spots apart, Harvick and Elliott were before that contact. They restarted about three positions apart. <laughs> and then they go into turn number one on like the second or third lap of that restart. D- here's the question I want to ask, Dan. Har- Elliott never touched Harvick, and Harvick overcooked the corner with all that pressure on him, having to get spots and everything. He overcooks the corner. Chase almost overcooks it behind him. If you look at the replay, you see the smoke on Chase's car and Harvick crashes out of the playoffs. Dan, did your nephew, 25-year-old Chase Elliott, get into Harvick's head and say boo, as Mark Garrow said? 
I think that all of the above, I, I don't think there's any of that that you can't deny because yeah. that's the whole idea of these race drivers is to play with each other's heads anyway. They do it on and off the track. So it doesn't matter whether you're racing or whether you're not, but it, it's to get into somebody's head. And once you do that, then as, um, let's see, probably one of the best at that at times was Daryl Waltrip at times. Yes. Uh, at, at times he didn't succeed so well. But the fact that, yes, uh, Sunday made it easy to do because Harvick was was absolutely, as I said, that's desperation, yep. and 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 he knows it. I mean, that's just it. You know this stuff, and and despite your best efforts, you can't help yourself. Kevin Harvick. So I, for for anybody that said absolutely, Chase Elliott, he saw that Napa hood. And, and after the race, I was of this opinion, but I, ha- I wanted to think a little more about it. I had a four-hour drive home from Charlotte, so I had some time to think that night. There, and it was a mixture of factors. Harvick had pressure on him, not just because he knew the nine car was closing and, and had said openly, basically, that he's going to wreck Harvick. <laughs> it's happening. I mean, everybody knows it. So uh, We were waiting for 50 laps. He knew that was coming, but he also knew he needed to get every position he could. And here he is, a bunch of other next to a bunch of playoff cars. Kyle Busch was there, Martin Truex was there, and then he sees the nine car, and it's like if the nine car is not there, maybe he doesn't miss the turn. But he very well could have still missed it because he had all those other things going. He's trying to get every spot he can before they get single file again. So the only thing that so by the way, Dan, I'm sure you saw this on TV. That place went ballistic when that happened i mean that you would have thought chase had won the race when harvick was in a flaming crash in the turn one tire barrier (laughs) it was it was pretty spectacular just to just see the energy from the fans and dan did you happen to see what chase said after the race and have you happened to see what is for sale now on chase elliott store.com well go ahead and tell it because uh, a lot of people probably don't know all right. I was just wondering if you saw it, if it, if the, it made rounds to you. Um, so after the race, Elliot gets asked by, by, I don't think it was one of our reporters. I think it was on TV and he gets asked you know, to sum up the situation. And he, and he said, I hope they have <laughs> a happy, what is it? A, a merry off season and happy Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and, and guess what? Monday, not Tuesday or Wednesday, Monday, ChaseElliott.com or ChaseElliottStore.com has T-shirts with an, with an um, animated version of Chase. Merry off season and happy, or uh, yeah, yeah, Merry off season and happy Christmas. And they're available in green and red, by the way, Dan. Yeah, so, but um, my question is, is who's the next pair of competitors going to be? Will we have another yeah. feud before the end of the season? Um, is is there something else going to come off of this? Because as I told you, really the only one that benefits from all of this is is the the sport does capitalize off of this because it 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 sells tickets, it gets a lot of exposure, it does a lot of this, and and all sports are the same. This is this is not the exception to the rule. So when it's all said and done, smoke clears. 
ticket sales go up, excitement goes up, you talk about it, and the race doesn't get talked about very much at all. The feud gets talked about, and we go on to the next event. Well, for sure. And and I mean, and I don't think this feud should overshadow what was a very dramatic, a good race. And there were a lot of drivers. I mean, Chris Buescher finished third. Tyler Reddick almost won. Kyle Busch had an average finish below 30th at the Roval, yep. man. He won stage two and finished Roval. fourth. Denny Hamlin's but did not need to win and didn't race in a way with desperation and still had a clean race. I'm telling you, Dan, if I'm looking for a flanker attack on the five car, it's coming from the 11 car. Hamlin's won three races in the playoffs now and is just clicking. It's like they just waited for the playoffs to turn on the afterburners there. Uh, you know, Matt Benedetto was six. He kind of came out of nowhere. And then the you know, even Brad Keselowski getting spun twice was still it should be out of the playoffs and he still managed to barely survive and make it there's so many good so many uh, compelling yeah, and I don't mean good yeah, like good versus evil I mean compelling stories here and and yeah, and Chase is, Elliott finished like the 12th a, in that race car says a lot about everything too this is like a ball game where you got bases loaded and 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 the batter at bat hits a home run because <laughs> you yeah. you look at NASCAR hit a home run Charlotte Roval hit a home run. Uh, the playoffs yeah. hit a home. Everybody hits a home run, and Hendrick hits a home run. It it is just unbelievable how much excitement has come off of this, and and how much um, momentum is going to be gained out of this one race to the end of the playoffs. Uh, it certainly will. So they bring it to Texas Motor Speedway. This is the first race without Eddie Gossage as the president there and the GM, by the way. So a new era at TMS. If you want to hear uh, from the new Texas Motor Speedway president, uh, you can actually listen to Fast Talk on uh, PRN, uh, goprn.com or the PRN app or iTunes and all the other podcast places. Um, they did a good job this week at the new Texas president and GM, and I'll let you go there and discover more about him. But is uh, the last segment of that show. It's just a kind of an introduction because we've known Eddie Gossage has been evergreen in wallpaper for all these years, right, promoting that track. But uh, also on that show, I get to get on there with Nick Yeoman and talk with Doug Rice. And then Mark Garrow is on with Jeff Hammond and Doug Rice, too. So we all get to kind of digest the race. And we were digesting the race, Dan, right after we saw it happen. So we were still juicing, all right, and adrenaline big time after seeing it all. So be sure to check out Fast Talk for Performance Racing Network there. And I'm not saying it because I was on it. I'm saying it because I want you to hear about Texas too. But Texas comes up, Dan. We got two more 550 horsepower tracks left this season, Texas and Kansas. Last year, Kansas was won by Joey Logano just manipulating the air and, and keeping Kevin Harvick from winning there at the very end. It was a close battle for the lead, but there was never going to be a pass for the lead based on that package and Texas, the all-star race was interesting. It was really exciting at the end. It looked like Brad Keselowski had it won with a big old pass on a restart, and then Kyle Larson just got out of his fishing hook and said, no, nope, I got you, bro. You're out. Um, it, I, I think, Dan, basically what it boils down to is Hendrick cars have been incredibly good on 550 horsepower tracks this year. However, Denny That's Hamlin won Las Vegas. And it, What's that? They've been good most everywhere. They have, but they've been especially good on the five, the five fifties. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. But they've been good. They've been. I mean, that's been their bread and butter. And yep, they've got a whole arsenal there to show for it. 
They they certainly do, and I and I think the other Hendrick cars that are not in the playoffs now, uh, Bowman and Byron drivers will be be in good shape. You know, I think I think they'll be able to run competitively at Texas. But all we have is the All Star race to really go off of, and then how the race st- stacked up a year ago. But Denny Hamlin, just remember, he won Vegas, and he won Vegas after the Hendrick cars had the pit strategy snafu that took them out of contention. Basically, Elliott ended up overcoming all of that and still finishing second. So just some things. I still think it, this championship goes through Gibbs and Hendrick no matter what. And we talked about that on last week's episode, too. Um, and then and then we just talked about rivalries of drivers. Martinsville is the cutoff race before Phoenix. Last year's Martinsville race, I almost fell out. I mean, the drama was almost too much. I, I think I needed counseling <laughs> after that race. It was just a lot. Um, but But I think when you consider which drivers may be desperate, by the end of this round, two of those Penske drivers haven't had a lot of speed, Logano and Kozlowski. Martin Truex has been really off and on, but he even said to one of the reporters post-race that if he goes in a desperate situation, he wants Martinsville to be the track that decides it because that's his his playground. I think that most of the remaining eight drivers consider Martinsville a track they could win, and four of them are going to probably need a win <laughs> to be able to advance once we get there. So I'm looking forward to that. That's what Chase did last year, Dan. Yep, that's absolutely right. You got to win. Uh, one last point here before we pull it into the garage on five to go. Um, and, and we're not really going to get into F1 too much. Uh, that's usually something Eric and I do. But uh, to see Valtteri Botas actually pull out a win there and, and his lame duck last stretch from Mercedes is Pretty good to see, and also see Lewis Hamilton and his team going back and forth from Mercedes on the pit strategy and and trying to figure out if they need to wet or dry tires. I thought that was compelling. The overall race was not extremely compelling, but you really needed to digest the whole product before judging it because Botas did lead just, I think, every lap in that race, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I wanted to get to one more thing, Dan, and that's road course dominance. Three years ago, or two years ago, let's say. No, let's back up. Three years ago. A.J. Allmendinger had dirt on him. JTG Darty said, you know what, man, we're done with this. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it seemed like they just were not a good fit. It seemed like A.J. was even mailing it in in the 47 car. And then Colleague Racing invites him in 2019 to come run a couple of road courses. And he wins the Charlotte Roval in the 16 car for Colleague Racing. Or maybe it was a 10. I mean, no, it was a 16. Then the next year, you know, part-time again, and he goes out and he wins the Charlotte Roval, wins some other stuff. It's a contention for plate races and road courses. And then here we are in 2021, Dan, and he wins the Charlotte Roval a third time and is now contending and winning pretty regularly on oval tracks. Dan, <laughs> A.J. Allmendinger, what a character arc, my friend. I mean, what what have we have we seen anything like this for for a driver to turn it around in such a short time and at the back end of their career? Well, the only thing I hate to say about this deal is, you know, you, you've got to understand that the that the Gen 7 car coming, how, how much quicker did you say it was on the Roval than the current car? The, the fastest lap, which I think was, and I don't have it in front of me, so it really doesn't matter who the drivers were because this, this is all testing, right? But uh, I think it was yeah, William Byron. It was William Byron, though, and it was four seconds roughly, roughly 
four seconds quicker. It was about 80 seconds versus 84, 85 seconds in the current generation car. So four, uh, roughly four seconds quicker, the fastest lap to, compared to the fastest lap. Okay, what four seconds is a world of difference in in running a lap in these cars, and the difference between the Gen six car, Gen seven car, uh, this is a world of difference. And if if I'm one of these drivers that um, I solidly have me myself a ride for next year, and and I know that that these as soon as this gen 7 car gets done or or whatever i can do to get myself in school and uh, get acclimated to these new cars this is going to be a big deal to me in what it's going to do for road course racing next year with this yeah. new generation car this is going to be a big deal it is and i just got to wonder besides any xfinity plans what colleague plans to do with their second cup car and if AJ yep. may be a candidate to be hit there full time, I just I feel like he's earned it, Dan. They're already promoting Justin Haley, and it'll be a number sixteen car. But they have that second charter, which they could be selling or leasing out. You know, I mean they they may not they may not even run two cars. But if and they're also losing Nutrient Ag Solutions from their billfold of sponsors. So I just wonder if there's something together. I, I think the Cup Series for his age 40 or 41 season or whatever it is needs A.J. Allmendinger right now. Allmendinger won a Cup race this year, lest we forget, at the Indy Road Course. <laughs> I just And it's not because they're just road courses. There's something going on with that colleague team and with A.J. And I know this is a typical sports talk thing to say, but they have swag, man. They've got swagger. And and they, they run with no pressure now. It's like A.J. lost all the pressure cooking stuff when he stepped away from his full-time cup career. And maybe this is the reset he needed. I, I just wanted to point it out. He also got up there on old, 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 old tires, Dan, and almost won stage one. Chase Elliott ripped stage one out of his hands. But A.J. Allmendinger almost won stage one on the oldest tires out there on the racetrack. If he hadn't blown an engine, I think we're talking about 16 versus 5 for the win on Sunday. Yep. Yep. So, I, I think that uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the new car brings, how the drivers react to the new cars, how they adjust to the new cars, and also, too, there will be what, a little bit of horsepower difference in the high horsepower I think 670, yeah. 675 is going to be the high horsepower engine and about 550. Yeah, for the road for courses the and the short tracks. Sorry, uh, I need to talk of it. For the road courses and short tracks, it's 660 or 675, and then and then, but it's going to stay 550 with a with a taller spoiler, uh, taller than the short tracks. That is, it's going to stay 550 for the mile and a half and above tracks, and then and then it's to yep. be determined what they're going to run at Daytona and Talladega. Yeah, and supposedly they handed out the rule books this past week, I understand. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I, I know they've determined the packages now, but that yep. I haven't heard exactly. But this is this is going to be a big deal. Um, fans, uh, I think, are going to be excited to get into the new season and, and see where this shakes out, especially if you have what I think is going to be a lot more of the road course races. I think they're going to bring the excitement level of what you saw at the Roval. I think that's going to be more of what you see everywhere because 
these cars have are going to carry a lot more speed. They're going to be able to corner better. I don't think you're going to see. They they talked about the bumping and rubbing, and and I just don't see, think you're going to see very much of that in the next year or years to come. I think these cars are going to have to stay fairly clean as far as even though you don't think Arrow plays a package, uh, Arrow will play a package, um, will play a a role in this, and uh, you definitely don't want to do any damage to your cars whatsoever if if you're going to be upfront competitive. No, that that's a great point. That's a great point. And with the cost of these cars too, I mean they they got to race just a little more conservatively as, until they build up the inventory. Uh, the Saturday's this past Saturday's race, the Blue Cross Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina uh, drive for the Cure 250. AJ Allmendinger won. Austin Cendrick was second. By the way, Cendrick at one point had about half of the top ten running behind him, right on his tailgate or right on his bumper, and I ran into him. Uh, after the race, some of the PRN crew went to Twin Peaks very wholesomely and, uh, and, and you know, got dinner and drinks at, you know, Saturday night. And I saw Cendrick sitting up at the bar and I went up to him and I just thanked him because said, on behalf of the PRN crew, thank you for running there because he and Sam Mayer ran nose to tail for almost the entirety of stage three on Saturday. And that race there and the fact that Cendrick may have just not had quite as much something quite as much speed as the cars behind him allowed Daniel Hemrick and Justin Haley and a few others to bottle up behind him. And and he laughed when I said that, you know, cause I thanked him for the good broadcast there. So anyway, but uh, that was Austin Cendrick, the four drivers that got knocked out of the Xfinity playoffs this past weekend. They are Riley Herbst, Jeremy Clements, Myatt Snyder, and Jeb Burton. Uh, Jeb Burton, by the way, looking for a ride next year, as is Myatt Snyder, although it looks like Snyder will still be a Chevy development driver. Announced, by the way, this past weekend that Sheldon Creed will drive, and they already have said he's going to be with RCR in the Xfinity Series, but he'll be full-time in the number two car with Whelan Engineering as the sponsorship. There's also a new Cup Series team that's going to be debuting part-time next year. The driver named Loris Hesemans out of the Netherlands, and he runs in the Whelan Euro Series for NASCAR. His father and a business partner have a team called Team Hedzeberg, so his name is Hezemens, but with the combine the two names of the business partners, it's Hedzeberg, and Team Hezeberg will run the number 27 car with Loris Hedzemens as driver, mainly at road courses, maybe plate races or super speedway races too. And who is testing that car, Dan? You'll love this at the next-gen test these past two days. Who is tell testing me, the Team Hedzeberg number 27? Who is it? Um, Enzo Ferrari. I don't know. Close enough. Jacques Villeneuve. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. He's, he's, he's a guy that's had some uh, interesting opinions shared about him over the years and, and road courses in NASCAR. So Jacques Villeneuve testing the 27 car on behalf of Team Hedzeberg, but Loris Hesemans is the scheduled driver there. I thought you were going to tell me Kimi I thought you were going to tell me Kimi was going to do it. Oh. I, hey, Kimi's going to be done with F1 after this year. Maybe he can come back and run a truck or something. That'd be nice. I'd love to see him. Go place Johnny Sauter. <laughs> um, hey, one last thing, too. Rick Ware Racing announced an, a strengthened partnership with Ford, Roush Yates Racing, and Stuart Haas Racing for their cup operation next year. So they're not planning to set the world on fire. They may only run two teams. They may run three, but they're hoping to have better equipment under them when they do that. And I think, Dan, that's a relief because the Rick Ware cars have been 
very much in the way this year. So uh, hopefully they yep. get at least a little yep. more up to speed in the next-gen car. I think it'll be great. That's it. Any parting shots from you, my friend? No, it's just uh, let's just uh, see if the season continues to progress with the excitement level that it's generating, and um, I, I can't wait. I think that sounds wonderful. I appreciate that, and I, I'm definitely excited, too. Texas Motor Speedway, the last performance racing network race of the year this weekend. Xfinity and Cup Series action. Go to GoPRN.com to find out the broadcasting schedule. It's always fun to check in with that, even if you've got it up on TV. I like to have the TV on with the sound and have a little PRN in the background, switch back and forth and whatnot. So, But I'm also crazy, so that's that. Uh, but, but I'm really very thankful to Doug Rice and to Mark Garrow and to, and to everybody at PRN that lets me be involved. Some prayers, by the way, and a, bo- a, both a prayer praise and a prayer request, Dan, on the PRN side, Jerry Horn, who's second, who's number two at PRN behind Doug Rice. He's the he's GM and, and head of sales. Uh, Jerry Horn has been with uh, cancer treatments for the last little bit, something that started in July. And this week he's scheduled to ring the bell at Duke Medical Center there in North Carolina because his radiation treatment's ending and things are looking up. And also Alexis Erickson, um, and, and you may uh, remember her as Alexis Perkins, too, before she married Jordan Erickson. But they had a child uh, just a couple of weeks ago named Oliver, or Ollie. And Ollie's had some uh, skin issues, and, and they'd just taken him home this past week. So they had to keep him at the hospital a couple of days and have some challenges there. But uh, some prayers for them to have strength, and big thank yous to them for all they do to make it happen on PRN. And also just real thankful to God that they've had some healing come their way. So. Definitely Amen. send that way to Jerry Horn and to Alexis Perkins and or Alexis Erickson and family. Want to do that, um, Dan? Thanks for making time today, brother. I appreciate you and be, best to Lolly and the whole family over there. And look forward to doing this again next week, sir. Amen. Yeah, everybody have a great week. We will definitely do that. So everybody, thank you for tuning in to Five to Go. Like our Facebook page, Five to Go Racing Podcast. I've got a link up there already of the. Chase Elliott, Happy Christmas t-shirts. You might That might make a good Christmas gift. So for Dan Elliott and for Eric Von Hessler, who couldn't be with us today, I'm Doug Turnbull, and thank you very much for listening to the 5 to Go Racing Podcast. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.